If you have Bibles with you this morning, um, please turn to, to Luke 6. Forty-six, and we'll read it out, um, and then we'll come back to it in a few moments. So, Luke six forty-six says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house." who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been built well built, or it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So uh, it's an interesting heading, but... Um, I think you get where I'm going with this. Um, we're in a time of just a high amount of information. Um, and the words that came to me was in one ear and out the other. So let's just look at this. Uh, a guy, Buckminster Fuller, he created the, the term knowledge doubling curve. And the knowledge doubling curve, um, he basically explained it as um, until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things are not as simple as different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology, knowledge is doubling every two years. And clinical knowledge every 18 months. hope that's right, actually. But an average human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. And with the introduction of IoT, which is Internet of Things, the Internet, Basically, the internet is leading to the doubling of, of knowledge every 12 hours. Now, not, not a given human being, but, but the human race. Knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Thomas Friedman. The age of acceleration. Technology is accelerating faster than our ability to adapt. Everything is sped up to this breakneck speed. Technology is accelerating quicker then humans can adapt. Humans can't evolve quick enough to keep up with technology. This has created an, an age of anxiety, anxiety where at least low-level anxiety is the new norm. We all feel chronically behind in that curve of change. You can see human adaptability is the, is the black line and technology has just went skyward, it's took off. So we're bombarded by information and choices. Decisions we make every day, according to multiple sources on the internet, including some quite eminent sources, psychologytoday.com, on the internet again, the average amount of remotely conscious decisions an adult makes each day equals about 35,000, which is an astonishing amount and may or may not be correct, but consider this, we make 226.7 decisions per day on just food alone. <laughs> according to researchers at Cornwell or Cornell University, when you, think, when you start to really think about it as consumers, we have become used to a vast amount of choices. In fact, we expect them. Every day we are faced with an increasing number of choices. I just thought about the TV last night. Whenever I was a child, now down in Monon, slightly different up, up here. But you'd have had eight channels. I don't know whether you'd have had maybe five or six or seven, but we had TG Cahar, which is TG4. So we had the whole eight. 
But now what do we have? We have Sky TV, we've BT TV, we've got satellite, we've any amount of TV. And I just looked up there, TV, a Sky TV can offer you 300 channels. And what do we end up doing? I've even, I've even found myself at night, somehow, not that often, but I've somehow managed to, to be sitting up watching late night shopping. <laughs> just complete rubbish. Sorry if any of you working in the industry, but late night shopping and probably buying something that you'll never need just because somebody said it would change your life. <laughs> and then we take a look at goggle, goggle box. Is that right? Is that goggle box the right term? Yeah. Where we watch people watch TV? Yeah. What has happened to us? Like? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And then we have a choice to even watch live TV or something you've recorded or something on the internet or, or, or of YouTube or even Netflix binging. The choices are endless. So I took a look at social media and just a bit of information. Twitter, on average, 6,000 tweets are sent every second, which is roughly 500 million per day. Like, that's just unfathomable. I just can't get my head around that. YouTube, there are about 122 million daily active users on YouTube, consuming more than a billion hours of video every day. A billion hours of video. Can we get our head around that? A billion hours. Just had a conversation with you guys about YouTube and the dangers of YouTube. So you can see that's just two, um, two different options and you can see you've got an endless stream of information coming from social media. Endless stream. You can spend hours on it every single day. There's even good old Homer. What's Homer doing? He's, he's Googling how to iron your shirt. <laughs> and this is for Ashley, I think. How to snip off your ear hair. And all for you, <laughs> and all for the coffee lovers. We have a couple of coffee lovers in the house, and I think Nigel and Marilyn are probably going to qualify because they've got a new coffee machine. I've just seen it in the picture in the kitchen. <laughs> How do you like your coffee? A latte? Frequently. Skinny latte? <laughs> An Americano? An espresso? Flat white? I used to slag Sharon off my wife back in the day whenever we used to go to Starbucks, whenever Starbucks was acceptable, but maybe isn't acceptable now. I think Charlene got a, what was it Charlene, was it a, I don't know what it was, it was something with five different elements and I think Starbucks take pride in like you can basically make your own coffee and whatever you want they'd put in it. A skinny frappuccino with one pump of caramel syrup, goodness me, it's just too many choices. So Neil Postman, In a speech to the German Informatics Society on October 11, 1990, which is a good while ago, Postman said the following, The tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity and can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, Disconnected from usefulness, we are glutted with information, drowning in information, have no control over it, and don't know what to do with it. Interestingly, this was before the internet, even, uh, or even smartphones. The introduction of television brought news from all around the world in lightning speed and meant that news became disconnected from your time and place. Before that, pretty much the only news you would have come across was something in your local area. Maybe even the cows broke out down the road. 
And what were you going to do about it? Were you going to go on YouTube and start to launch a video about how Seamus didn't fix his fence properly and the cows kept getting out? Were you going to go on and create a blog about it? Were you going to go on and tweet about it and give off about it? You certainly won't. You were going to try and go out and help because it was local news. You were connected to it. You were, you were living close with people. You were in community of people. Any news was obviously either, if it was bad, bad news, you'd have tried to help people out. Um, and he, he named a term called liar, which is low information to action ratio. So we receive that much information these days that we start to sever the tie between what we actually hear, what we read, and how much we do of it. And it really struck me this, this, this really struck me. I didn't, David actually shared this with me. I had, I had some stuff noted down and there was a stream of information came my way. Thankfully, <laughs> it just kept on coming. I thought, man, would you stop? <laughs> he was trying to love me. Um, but I listened to one guy and this really struck me that we are in a society now where there is just a stream of information in front of our faces. Non-stop. Non-stop. Neil Postman goes on to describe, since the introduction of television, what has taken place in the human psyche, he says, is that the state of being used to hearing vast amounts of information, a lot of it bad, being moved by it, and then doing absolutely nothing about it, because we're so far away from it. You hear the news from the other end of the world, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in China, what's happening in Mexico. You can do nothing about it. We're, we're so far away from it and we get so used to hearing it that we don't actually act on it. So where am I going with this, you may ask. Well, if we turn to Matthew 7, 24-27 and Luke 6, 46-49, you can go to either. They really are very similar. I started to think has this kind of lifestyle or attitude been slowly leaking into our churches over the past number of years? How do we approach Sunday mornings? Me included, by the way, this has really spoke to me. Tuesday night prayer meetings. Thursday nights around the table. Most importantly, how do we approach our quiet time with God? It's quite frightening whenever you sit and, and process this. And that's why the heading obviously is in one ear out the other. Is it a matter of ticking a box and moving on? Because I can certainly assure you guys this morning standing here that I at times have been guilty of reading God's word. And I couldn't repeat what I read an hour later if somebody was to ask me. Do we come to church and expect to be entertained with a decent three point sermon that took no longer than 20 minutes because the roast beef was in the oven? Or do we come to church expecting to meet with God our Father in Heaven who is pure, who is holy, who is our Redeemer, who is our Saviour. Do we approach God on, on a Sunday morning with hearts full of thankfulness? Do we approach God to pour out our worship on Him? How many times have I sat in church and have heard God's Word and have felt the Holy Spirit stir me at that very moment? to change something in my life, only to go home and do very little about it. Have we become a people who say we follow Christ with our mouths, yet are dragged, yet have dragged the lifestyle of having a liar as in a low information to action ratio into our walk with God? I know that's tough to hear. Um, 
And I've struggled with this because this has spoke to me, strongly spoke to me. But I really feel that the, the, the Christians in society today, we have so much information coming our way that we genuinely don't know how to act on it. And we sometimes, most frequently, don't act on it. Um, so this is just this, about the Sermon on the Mount. And obviously we have the Sermon on the Mount. David, you probably agree, disagree. I don't mind. There's a Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew 7, um, Luke 6, Matthew 5 to 7. Um, and it starts off the Beatitudes um, and the attributes of those who will receive eternal life. And then there's a new vision of righteousness in contrast to the Pharisees. Jesus didn't mince his words. Certainly not in this sermon. Avoid the self-deception of the Pharisees. Matthew 6, 1 to 7, 14. Luke 6, 39 to 42. And then the last. It's not enough to claim to believe. You must live out your beliefs. Matthew 7, 15 to 29. And Luke 6, 43, 47. The words both in Matthew 7, 15 to 29 are tough to read. Whenever you start to take this approach and you start to listen to what God's saying, it becomes quite stark reading. It becomes difficult to, to, to process. So um, I'm going to read Luke 6. I'm going to read Matthew 7, actually, sorry. <laughs> and forgive me, I haven't, I haven't uh, put pieces of paper in all these areas, so I'll just find them slowly here. So Matthew 7, I'm going to start from 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from you, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So that's difficult to hear. But I'm going to take Luke 6.46 just for a start, and just split it up into three different actions. Simple actions, but when they're combined, they're massive. Everyone who comes to me, Here's these words of Jesus and does them, puts them into practice. The Greek for putting into practice or doing is poeto. Um, and I don't know this, but I looked it up last night. I think it's term, the, the, the pronunciation is poeto. Who does, who acts on, who obeys. That word is used 22 times in the Sermon on the Mount. And are we doers of the word? Poeo of the word. Because James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at one forgets what he was like. The theme running through and leading up to Jesus' sermon is that it's not enough just to hear all of this information. It's not enough to just believe that God really is who he says he is in the scripture. But in the end we must live out a poeto, a life that radically follows Christ and his teachings. And this is where I almost feel like <laughs> I used to go to, to, to the Presbyterian church and the minister one morning. The kids used to come to the front of the church and I sat at the front. And of course the, the, the minister would start off with, a, with an action or like show something that would be really interesting. And the kids would just be in awe of this. And one morning he took out this tin of pedigree chum. And I sat there and went, what's he doing with that? And I think from memory he was basically saying about how we can consume things that maybe look good, but the actual contents of them is not good, and how the enemy can deceive us. And he cracked it open, and he had a spoon out, and he started spooning into him. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, oh my goodness, some guy get, the, get that spoon out of that guy's hand. <laughs> He's going to poison himself. But it was interesting, of course, but then what happens whenever it all, it all it obviously was, it was a pedigree chump sticker over a tin of tuna. It wasn't a big deal. But the fact is, Sometimes we can get entertained and we miss, we miss the very, very, very important detail. I know it's easy to sit here this morning and this is tough, but this is the truth, guys. This is the word of God. I, I, I can't put words into the Bible. I can only read what's there in front of me. So the parable of the, of the two home builders. We have a wise builder. The Greek word for wise is the phronimous man, which can be described as someone who is intelligent, wise, thoughtful, and we have the foolish builder. And the Greek word for foolish is the morous man, or the moros man. Now some, some people on Google have translated this as the moron. I would not go as far to say that because I think that the English language can very quickly completely misinterpret what, Greek, what the Greek meaning was. But basically it's someone who was stupid or unthoughtful. People who just live frivolously and don't think through things, don't actually stop and be thoughtful of what they're going to do. So what does the Bible say is wise and what does the Bible say is foolish? So I went for a wee trip into the Proverbs because the Proverbs, you can't beat them. Proverbs 22, 17 to 19. Excuse me, guys, my mouth's a bit dry. 17.18 says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Proverbs 2 verse 2 says, Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. And Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. I'm going to actually go there. I didn't note this time. I'm going to go there and actually read from it because it has a lot in that. You're welcome to join me if you want to go to Proverbs 1. 
the beginning of knowledge it's, it's headed. The Proverbs, of Sol- the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the word of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we come back to Luke 6 with, I haven't a clue how long I've spoke for. I had one point thought I was going to... Oh, very good. Um, at one point I was going to split this up in two weeks and I thought, no, I don't have the guts for this. <laughs> <laughs> so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs twelve fifteen and 18 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I love that. The tongue of the wise brings healing. We're in a time, guys, where the world needs healing, both psychologically, both physically, both mentally. The world needs healing. And we, as the people of God, we're expected to live out um, the words of God, the poel of the word. So COVID-19, this is a very controversial topic. I thought I'd just shove it in here just to have a quick discussion about it. (laughs) COVID-19, for example... I have to say that the Christians that I have watched on YouTube and probably on Facebook and on Twitter and on this and on that, literally the very moment that our countries were being locked down, Christians were pouring their opinions out onto, out onto social media. Pouring them out onto social media. Couldn't get enough of it. You could have watched one sermon to the next. And they were spewing out advice and their own opinions of the virus and whether it was real, and whether the Chinese did this, this, and whether the Americans did that, and whether the governments were doing this, and whether the government was doing that. And the only people that were right were the ones who inclined their ear to God. Because God's in everything, guys, this morning, and I know that might be difficult, and it's difficult for me in what we're going through, but God is in the detail. And we don't decide what happens because God is sovereign over, over all of us. And COVID-19 has come, COVID-19 might, might very well go. It might very well stay for another couple of years. We don't know. But as Nigel said this morning, we don't need to care about that. We need to care about trusting in God. Proverbs 3 verse 5. Mighty Nigel, absolutely mighty that verse. That, that verse has led me through many a trouble in life by trusting in God. But I think it was yourself, David. The first week of lockdown, I think we had the wonderful chairs gathered around in a circle to try and reduce the echo in the building. I think you shared, if I'm right, about turning off the news because news just brought so much fear. No matter where you looked, there was fear just completely filling our minds. You turned on the TV, Sky News, BBC, IDV, Channel 4, Channel 5, just news constant about deaths, 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 every single day. And it could become addiction. And sometimes... It's important that we learn the news. Of, of course, the news is not wrong. Of course, you know, 
here's me, a, a slag homer off for how to cut ear hairs. But on YouTube and lockdown, I was trying to learn how to put a fence up. So, I mean, the, it is useful, but it, it can become the replacement of God. It can become the replacement of what he wants to say to us. It was very refreshing this, this week. Sean and I were, were praying with a couple as we go through our own trials. And one thing the guy mentioned was um, he was speaking to a couple and they were having marriage difficulties. And there was something happened in the house. And it was a spiritual darkness in the house. Um, and it was just amazing to listen to him share about how that man approached God. Just an everyday situation, approached God and was saying, what, what's going on here, God? Speak to me. What am I doing wrong? You know, what have we what have we done wrong in the house? Is there something that I'm doing wrong? Is something my wife's doing wrong? Can you please help us? Can you please come and and give us direction? And I mean, what happened was God just replaced and removed and fixed that issue that was there. But it it it, it had to come to a point where where He was willing to incline His ear to God to ask for help, to ask for direction. And whenever he, whenever He inclined His ear to to God and attuned to Him. The Holy Spirit was able to direct. The Holy Spirit was able to act. There's nothing quite like those times spent with God when you're in continuous conversation with God. I love those mornings when I've been driving to work and I've shared before in the past. It's a decent drive, Aaron, as you well know, driving up to Antrim and you've got that time and you can just speak to God. You don't, you don't have to try and like, do anything. you just got to talk to him. He loves to hear our voice. He loves to hear us speak to him. He loves to hear us listen to him. We're children of his. In the worldly term as a family, if you had a son or a daughter who was coming to speak to you maybe once a month, it'd be quite difficult. If they were coming to speak to you once a week, it'd be quite difficult. You'd want to speak to them every day, every morning, every night. And those mornings where I've, I've been able to, to, to just to sit still, Shawnee slags me off because I would sit outside and watch the birds and get lost in the garden. But those moments where you can sit still and just allow God to pour into you, those are the most blessed days. Those are the most blessed days. And the world can be screaming around you. There can be meetings at nine o'clock. There can be conversations that have to be difficult to be had. There's tasks to get done. There's kids, clothes needing ironed, shopping needing picked up. There's just so much stuff happening, but those times whenever you actually train yourself to sit still and attune and align your ear and incline your ear to God, See, I don't believe that God doesn't talk to us on a daily on a daily basis. I'm starting to question: Have we been taught to receive so much information, act little on it, and thus drown out God's voice amongst everything else? We are being pushed, I believe, greater than ever, to use our time wisely, to be active, to be at something productive in this world, to get things done, to achieve this, to achieve that, and you can call it the rat race. Plain and simple. But sometimes God just wants us to do absolutely nothing. But just listen to him. And Psalm 37. I've just left the slides guys. Maybe I should go back to, to the very start here. Just leave it sitting there. High stra- a bit of a, a strategic move there. <laughs> in one ear out the other. <laughs> so Psalm 34.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Firstly, delight yourself in the Lord. How often do I delight myself in the Lord? How often do I take delight in spending time with the Lord? 
Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Psalm 1, 1 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I want to come back to Luke 6. Can I go back or have to go forward? forward. That's unfortunate, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> He's all watching. Okay, so Luke 6, 48, 49, let's read that again. Everyone who comes to me and and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation of the rock. And the, the, the one word I've highlighted twice, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. I just want to close, guys, and say, based on what I've highlighted there, sometimes the Western church and us involved can almost present the Christian life like it's going to be a bed of roses. Like nothing's going to go wrong, nothing can go wrong. That we're not going to have any difficulties. And if we have got difficulties, then it's their fault. We've done something wrong. We've messed up. And we can get so so middled up or muddled up away from what the gospel actually says. But Jesus clearly spoke. And Jesus clearly said that the storms are going to come. There's no doubt in each one of our lives the storms are going to, are going to come. And we can sit here for five minutes and discuss what those storms are. But you guys are sitting in front of me and you know exactly what a storm is in your life. And they're going to come and they're going to go and they're going to come back. But Jesus clearly says, it's the man who's wise, who inclines his ear to him, who hears and who does. Are we going to be people, I wouldn't say who are liars because that's the wrong term, but are we going to be people, are we going to be people who have a liar, a low information to action ratio? Or are we going to have a high information to action ratio? As Christians in the church, are we going to be able to overcome the storms of life? I'm just thankful that I had praying parents. I'm thankful that I was brought up in a Christian home. I'm thankful that I was poured into at a young age and I'm incredibly blessed from that. I don't stand here and take that for granted. But yet I know that the Holy Spirit is good enough, is strong enough, is big enough to take someone from the pits of despair and to set them upon that rock. Because Jesus is the cornerstone. And we've heard that multiple times. Jesus is the cornerstone of our life. He's the only cornerstone in our life. It's so important that we actually hear that. And we we recognise that. And we don't leave this morning just, you know, oh, that's good. We've heard this numerous times because that's been spoken. How many times have we heard that in the Word of God? The wise builder and the foolish builder. But the reality is, the wise builder, when the storms do come, the wise builder will stand. And the house is his life. That's, what, that's the way Jesus was represented. The house was the life. The life of a man. The life of a man sold out for Christ. The life of a man that had his house built on Christ. 
I think it's so important. And I think as we come to worship, Aaron, if you don't mind coming up here, please, um, I just ask you, including myself, including all of us this morning, I would ask us just, I'm not even going to play the cajon because I don't want a whole battering session. I just want a few moments where we can sit in God's presence. Um, I'm going to move out of here on and I'll put that back in. Um, just in his presence this morning, I would ask you to, as Nigel said, amazing he just said it, Nigel, to block out everything else. There's always going to be so much stuff going on in our lives. We're always going to have too much to handle. But to incline our ear to the Lord this morning, just in the moments as, as, as Aaron comes and leads us in worship. I'm just going to pray here, if that's all right. Lord, we just thank you for your love this morning, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your patience to us this morning, Lord. We thank you for how you time and time again wait upon us, Lord. You, you give us chance after chance after chance, Lord. And we're so thankful, Lord, for who you are because without you, we'd be nothing, Lord. Without you, we'd just be a crumbling mess, Lord. Lord, I pray that you, your words from, from Luke 6 and from Matthew 7, Lord, that those words would, would sink deep within us this morning, Lord, that you would stir up a desire, a new desire to walk with you, Lord, to, to incline our ear to you, Lord, to, to hear what you're saying to us, Lord, and to act upon those, Lord, to act upon those words of, of, of wisdom, Lord, those words of, of direction, Lord. And we just pray in these moments ahead, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come now, Lord, that you would fill this place, Lord, and that you would speak to your people, Lord. Lord, I thank you for each head here bowed this morning, Lord. I thank you so much for each family represented, Lord, for, for all of the gifts you've placed in this church, Lord, for, for all of the mighty hearts that you have in this place, Lord, for your glory and for your kingdom this morning, Lord. But I ask as we come before you, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. Come and have your way.